Hello and welcome to the Money Mammoth Podcast, where we'll explore your personal relationship with money and help you develop a mindset to lead a stress-free financial life. I am your host and co-author of the book, Money Mammoth, Dr. Ed Horowitz. This podcast is dedicated to helping you figure it all out and finally get to your financial happy place, free from money, stress, worry, and fighting. Let's begin. All right, in this episode, I'm going to do a deeper dive into behavioral change and the scientifically proven process to make it stick. The first point we need to understand is that sustained, effective behavioral change is in fact a process. There's been a lot of scientific research and proven research studies that talk about effective and sustained behavioral change. In fact, here's a quote that comes from one of the articles. Multiple studies provide strong support for these stages of behavioral change, as well as for a finite and common set of change processes used to progress through these stages. Research to date supports a trans-theoretical model of change that systematically integrates the stages with processes of change from diverse theories of psychotherapy. Now, that was from In Search of How People Change Applications to Addictive Behaviors. The original academic research paper uh, was originally from about 1993-94, written by James Prochaska, Carlo Di Clemente, and John Norcross, that really talked about this trans-theoretical model of behavioral change. Since then, there's been a mountain of work and research that's been done in the field and in clinical settings with many forms of beating addictive behaviors, including alcoholism, gambling, drug addiction, weight loss, and smoking cessation, just to name a few. The process of behavioral change is well-documented in terms of a process for sustained behavioral change. If you listen to the various steps, and if you've made successful change in the past, you may recognize these steps because you probably went through them without even realizing that you did so. All right, step one is known as pre-contemplation. This is when the individual may not even be aware that they have a problem that they need to address. They're still kind of in the learning phase. They hear information out there. They realize that their actions, behaviors, beliefs may not be correct and that there's some discomfort. They realize that there's something here that, you know, that they're not aligned with and they might need to address. That moves us into step number two. Step number two is contemplation. This is where the individual becomes aware that, yeah, there is some problem here and I need to understand more about it. So they dig heavy into the research, they seek data, they may do some searching on the internet, they'll watch some videos, they'll talk to people to learn more about what exactly is this problem that could lead them into the third step, which is preparation. Preparation is when we start to build the plans for our ultimate change. We'll research the best ways to do things and methods and start to think about the ways in which we would need to change to then take action or prepare, you know, for that change. So a lot of planning, a lot of books, a lot of reading, maybe a few podcasts and various other forms of uh, research 
occurs in the preparation phase. Then we go to the most important step four, which is the action phase. The action phase is where we actually do it. We model the behavior. We start living in that new environment that we prepared for, and we start modeling and trying on and living that behavior. Okay, so that comes next in the action phase. Step five is what we call the maintenance phase. The maintenance phase is where sometimes our behavior slips and we revert back to our prior behavior. So special attention needs to be given and sometimes some intervention and coaching as well to make sure that we stay on the track of that desired new behavior. And then the new step, step six, which is known as termination. The behavior becomes so well ingrained in our daily lives that it becomes the new norm. And in essence, the change process is terminated because we have made that change. So that is, in a very high level, the scientifically proven six-step behavioral change process. So here's the key point that you need to know. Making change is hard. To do it right, though, it cannot be shortcut or rushed. It only works in a sustained manner when it moves at the perfect speed for you. In fact, did you know that past successful attempts to make behavioral change provides you with an invaluable personalized roadmap for your success? I can't design a better one for you. Success, and more importantly, your success, can become the comfortable known path that you've already walked on before, the way that you already know. Best of all, you can use this past experience to your advantage. Success can become so familiar and repeatable, it becomes your way of life. That's really how successful people do it. They create this winning mindset, a mindset of success. In fact, now's a perfect time to hear from Dr. Brad to tell us more about this mindset of money success. So I am obsessed with the mindset of success. And I think it came from growing up in a working class family of a bunch of really smart, hardworking people and being exposed to friends that whose parents made more money. And I'm like, I was always sort of struck with this concept that, you know, my family just as hardworking, just as smart, you know, incredible people. Like, why aren't we doing quite as well? And I, I even took it a step further where I was like, Branches of my family have been in the United States since the Revolutionary War. Like, why don't we own a piece of property? Why isn't there a building with our name on it? So I was really struck with that question as a child. And it's it's actually sparked a lot of the research that I've done. So one line of research has been focused on the psychology of wealth. Like, what are these beliefs? What are these mindsets? And it's something that has really fascinated with me. And one of the things that we did we did a study with uh, Paul Sullivan, who's a um, columnist in the New York Times. He helped with this study. And, and we, we really wanted to look at what are the beliefs, the behaviors, but not only that, what are the stereotypes? And so at growing up lower income, for me, we had all these stereotypes about rich people. You know, things like they all went to private school. You know, you can't become rich unless you're born rich. You know, they're, they're selfish. They uh, um, don't want to pay their taxes. <laughs> you know, not, not, they're all trust fund babies. All, all these stereotypes, and and I realize in retrospect, these stereotypes helped us feel better about our socioeconomic status. 
So if I can make a negative association with these rich people, then I'm going to feel better about not being there. And actually that, that confirmation bias and that um, setting it up that way mentally, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a real easy escape hatch to feeling better about myself. And so that's an interesting thing. So we need to be aware of what we're putting ourselves into those traps because essentially those beliefs around wealthy people and rich people being bad, we've done studies and those things predict all sorts of terrible financial outcomes in your own life. So if you want to have, um, you know, climb the socioeconomic ladder, do better financially, you really have to eradicate all these negative associations with money because they're going to they're gonna hurt you. But just some core things that we found is um, a lot of those stereotypes just aren't true. Like, you know, at least eight out of 10 millionaires are self-made. I found a really interesting stat too. You, you might have this belief that to become a millionaire, for example, you need to go start a business. Seven out of 10 millionaires are employees and they just have this, this mindset towards saving and investing. So this is one of the mindsets they have. Saving is important. Investing is important. And that belief isn't shared by a lot of middle-class and working-class and lower-income people. So that belief in and of itself will set you up for success. The other thing that we found, which is fascinating, is something called locus of control. And what we found is that people who are wealthier have an internal locus of control. So they have this belief that their outcomes in life, good or bad, are the result of their effort, their ignorance, their stupidity, their mistakes. And it is such a powerful belief because it's not about beating yourself up. It's about not finding yourself in the same bad situation (laughs) over and over because there's plenty of people to blame. So here's the low-hanging fruit if you want to feel better about yourself. Just blame everybody else for everything going wrong in your life. You know, blame the government, blame your employer, uh, blame the stock market, whatever. It's real easy to do because it's very cathartic and it makes us feel better about ourselves. But what we have found in our studies is more successful people are more likely to blame themselves. Like, where did I go wrong? What, what information am I missing? What can I do differently next time? That in and of itself is one of the most powerful differentiators between people who are successful and people who struggle. It's that taking personal responsibility and ownership and looking at what can I do differently? How can I think differently? What do I need to learn so that I don't keep making these mistakes? Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. I look forward to speaking with you again when next time we'll learn more about helping you avoid financial extinction and getting to your financial happy place. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to click and subscribe to the Money Mammoth Podcast. Until next time, this is Dr. Ed. Grateful you chose to spend your time with me. Cheers, everyone.